In this episode, we geek out about Fast 9, Star Trek Picard, Crisis on Infinite Earths, The Mandalorian, Watchmen, and Knives Out, then freak out about recent health issues, car troubles, Doctor Who, and streaming. All this and more on The Geek Generation. Hey now, and welcome to the Geek Generation. I am your host, Rob Logan, joined in the studio by Paul O. Yo! What is up? It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. Not just for uh, us, but the show. Well, the, the show, us, Yeah. everything. It's been a busy time. I don't know. For me, it's the beginning of the year is particularly... It's just a garbage fire of mm-hmm. like all kinds of stuff going on, so... You know, getting away to like record or like even just to do geeky stuff is not easy. So this is like a nice reprieve from all of the <laughs> non-fun stuff that I have to do. This year in general has been particularly challenging. I know we're going to talk about some of that stuff as we uh, <laughs> get into our geek outs and freak outs, but yeah. things have been tricky. Both uh, of us have tested our health insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, before we get into the Geek Gods and Free Gods, just a quick mention for people that might be heading to PAX East this year. It's in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, we're actually doing a panel at PAX East this year. So the Geek Generation is presenting a panel titled The Most Influential Video Games of the Past Decade. Mm. And it will be uh, myself, Silence Knight, Booster Greg, and Pumpkinberry, all people you've heard on the show before, all Twitch streamers. Uh, that will be happening Sunday, March 1st at 3 p.m. in the Arachnid Theater. Uh, you can go to thegeekgeneration.com slash PAX panel for more info on it. It is not one of the streamed rooms, unfortunately, so people can't watch it at home. But I'm going to see if I can at least get a recording of the audio to share as a podcast episode after the fact. But if you are going to be there, come by, say hi. That should be interesting. You're rating video games at a video game conference. We are. Yeah. However, it is set up in a way that it's not like a debate we're not saying these are the definitive most influential video games of the past decade uh-huh. they are the most influential for us personally oh that's good yeah yeah because then they can't be like like fight you afterwards exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh we will be taking some audience feedback as well so if we don't mention a game that somebody in the audience really wanted to have mentioned they'll have an opportunity to give their feedback too. So. Oh, that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like somebody's just going to be, they're not going to understand the concept behind it. They're yeah. going to be like, wait, 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 you're going to decide And then you're going to be forced to like semi-defend your position, even though it's just your personal opinion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, people never disagree with other people's personal opinions, Paul. Oh, yeah, because it's real life and not the internet. Yeah. That should be fun. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that'll be super fun. Hope to see people there again. The geekgeneration.com slash PAX panel if you would like to get more info on that. With that being said, let's get into our geek outs. Yay! Hello. My first geek out is uh, if you've listened to the show at all in the last, oh, I don't know, four or five years, then you would know that I am a hardcore fan of the Fast and Furious series. This is a thing I know. Uh, we've talked about it a lot in the past, just how each movie is kind of ramped up and become more and more ridiculous. And then this, I don't know, was it like a week or two ago? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it was actually Super Bowl Sunday. They released the Fast 9 trailer. Mm-hmm. Hell yes. I was, I was so excited. So I, 
maybe it wasn't on the weekend of the Super Bowl because I remember being at work mm-hmm. and then somebody saying like, oh, they're doing some kind of like like launch party thing that they're streaming on YouTube for the Fast 9 trailer. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being like this concert that just led up to the release of the trailer. Oh, wow. Which is bananas because like before we used to just get trailers. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't ask for them. We didn't know they were coming. People just gave them to us and we were like, awesome movie, you know? Now there was like this whole launch, which was kind of, all right, fine. You know, it makes sense because you're leading up to the Super Bowl. Mm. You've got to match that same energy. I get it. And then the trailer dropped in and then the things happened and then the people appeared. And then I was like, yes, I was so excited. John Cena is great, but I think the part of the trailer that everybody kind of gravitated towards was when Han shows up. Did anyone not know that was happening? I think people anticipated it was going to happen Mm -hmm. because there was this whole kind of like justice for Han hashtag and like campaign Mm -hmm. that was being led. Apparently there was this whole campaign for justice for Han that was being led by somebody in LA. I'm not, I think it was somebody who either writes for the LA times or like is a movie critic or something. I ended up reading out about it later because like all good geeks, I went out there and researched the shit out of the (laughs) thing that I'm passionate about. And so, um, yeah, somehow Han survives the car crash from Tokyo Drift, and now he's back. And he's still the same guy, which is awesome. Shorter haircut, though, right? Yeah, Didn't definitely one, yeah, shorter hair. hair. Yeah. I mean, maybe the fire burnt it off. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, yeah, I mean, for me, that was great. I have a friend, Dan. Shout out to Dan. He looks kind of like Han. Okay. And he does like, you know, there's like that line from Tokyo Drift where after um, the guy crashes Han's car, Han just like walks up to him. He's like, don't leave town. Kind of like saying like, you've got to pay me back for the Mm -hmm. car. And my friend Dan, he does that line really well. So we like, we kind of dubbed him our, our, our friends groups Han. And so I went, as soon as I saw the trailer and I saw that drop, I like DM'd him on Instagram. I'm like, "Ah, don't leave town. It's happening. (laughs) And so like, you know, we were all pretty excited for that. So John Cena is great. The, the, I mean, the ridiculous stunt from this one is apparently driving a car off a cliff and then catching the, the cable on the wheel and then slingshotting your way into the sky to catch the car that drove off a cliff and was attached to a magnet plane. Like, it's just, I mean, they're just like, okay, let's just get really high and see what we can think of. They're like, at the point where it's just, what would a person do here? Let's make a car do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, it was a lot like, um, like, I only remember this because it was on TV the other day, Kung Fu Panda. So there's that scene in Kung Fu Panda where the five are fighting against the snow leopard guy. I forget his name already, but he's the villain of Mm -hmm. the first movie. And they cut the bridge, and then he drops into the mist. And then you see the rope swing around. And I was like, oh, my God, they got that from Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. Yeah. So Fast and Furious, I'm always excited for those. I'm particularly excited for this because Han's back. Um, Is it weird that I watched it and I was like, I want John Cena to win? (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. Because... They, they kind of build him up in the trailer, right? They're like, wait, so he's like a super secret agent, drives really fast, mm-hmm. steals stuff good, and he's your brother? And then Vin Diesel can't be like, we're about family, you know, because he's fighting his family, which yeah. is great. And I'm just so sick of Dom kind of as a whole that I want Cena to win. <laughs> I, I want Cena to, it's very clear that they're kind of setting up this sort of like, 
three-way death match almost mm-hmm. that might turn into a two-way at some point because you know we're family but yeah i'm excited for the movie so i will be there opening night i have no doubt <laughs> watching this movie <laughs> this for me like a lot of like i love a lot of the geek themed movies that we always talk about like star wars the marvel movies mm-hmm. and stuff for me this is kind of like my the fast movies are like my personal super bowl yeah. like I love them just because they're so ridiculous. I I got on board with the first one because I was kind of into car culture at the time. And like now it's just, you've grown up, like not grown up, but grown into it, you know, and come to have certain expectations about the movie. It never fails. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a reliable, it's just like a reliable good meal that, you know, you always turn back to. So comfort food, comfort food. Exactly. So if you haven't seen it already, it's on you. It's everywhere. Yeah. Just go watch it. It'll be in the show notes too. Yeah. Uh, my second geek out is a Netflix show that came out in October, mm-hmm. so it's not brand new, but it's called Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. It stars David Chang, who uh, celebrity chef and restaurateur. Is this a, someone you've talked about before? Yes. Because he looked familiar. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, I think I talked about his other show that's on Netflix, but this one is a shorter series. Okay. Um, it features him and a celebrity guest mm-hmm. just going to... I think it's like a place that they choose. Okay. So they go to a location that this person is has either a desire to go to or is familiar with. And they kind of just spend a day together or mm-hmm. spend a week together. And they film the whole thing. Each um, episode is very different. Uh, the first episode is really just Seth Rogen and David Chang going to Vancouver, getting really high and mm-hmm. just eating their way through the city. And you think like, oh, that must be that's just like a shit show. Like that's not going to be anything. It's actually kind of fun, yeah. Because like you get to see like a lot of the places that you get to see the diversity of Vancouver. Like a lot of places to eat and the types of food that are available. The other episodes are like Chrissy Teigen and David Chang going to Morocco, which is cool. And then there's I haven't gotten this far yet, but I think it's Kate McKinnon and David Chang going to Phnom Penh. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of like diverse locations. Mm. Uh, the one I'm really looking forward to though is um, the one with Lena Waithe in LA because I've always speculated what my life would have been like if I had gone to California instead of the East Coast mm-hmm. and LA would have been my landing spot probably. Mm. And I love the city. Like the few times that I've been there, it's just been great. So I'm particularly excited about that episode. I'm kind of like saving it. Like I don't want the series to be over. So it's like <laughs> the one that I'm holding for like I get that. a rainy day, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So it's on Netflix. It's called Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. I'm sure if you just type that into the search bar, you'll find it. There's a trailer on Netflix if you just want to whet your appetite. It's a great show. It's kind of a, in the same vein as Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. Uh, with no no reservations and the layover and all those travel eating shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a void right now with him gone. So a lot of people are trying to fill in. David Chag's one of those people. And I think this particular show, because it is only just four episodes, it's a very digestible length. Mm-hmm. You're not being forced into like a 12 episode run where you, you're kind of like, you have to wade through some bullshit that you don't want to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm not particularly interested in going to Morocco, but after seeing the Morocco episode, I thought, wow, I, yeah, I kind of do want to go. This looks fun. It's weird that food is often the impetus for travel for a lot of oh. us. Like, oh, I want to eat that. I'm yeah. going gonna, gonna to spend a lot of money to go there to eat that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's like, I mean, a lot of people say it all the time. Like the like celebrity chefs are always like the best way to ingratiate yourself to a new culture or, you know, a new environment is through the food. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
it's I think it's natural to see something like that and be like, I want to eat that. Like pulling a whole roasted lamb out of the ground. You're like, yes, let's go there and do that. Yeah. You know, despite all the hesitation that you might have had about going to this place outside of the food. Like once you see the food, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's worth it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so yeah. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Netflix, go check it out. Cool. My first geek out is Star Trek Picard, which I'm super happy to even include in Uh the geek outs after all the kind of apprehension that I had. I know a lot of other people had with the direction that Star Trek has gone in the last few years, especially like Discovery and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. We didn't really know what we were going to get here uh, with Picard, but I am super happy with it. Uh, It's not the next generation. I knew it wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But it is still Picard. Like I, I hear good things. So. Yeah. I was very cautiously optimistic. And yes, it's not the bright, optimistic sci-fi that I loved about The Next Generation, mm-hmm. that I love about the Orville and stuff like that. It's not negative either. It's not like some dark, dystopian future. And it really doesn't matter which way they would have gone with it, because the fact that Picard remains the optimist and he keeps his sense of morality and his sense of hope that he always had, like, that's our guiding light Mm -hmm. through the show. And apparently that's enough to, like, make the show feel optimistic as a whole. So it's super good. Yeah, I have not watched it, but I think a lot of people around me who were either fans of Star Trek or just happened upon it were like, yeah, it's it's really good. Like, it's definitely worth watching. I might get around to it at some point. Mm -hmm. I don't know when. I I don't have a lot of time, but... Yeah, because as much as I have not watched a lot of Star Trek, I did watch a lot of Next Generation Mm -hmm. just because it happened to be on at that time in my life where like what Sunday afternoon, Mm -hmm. 3 p.m. or something, you know, like Next Generation was always on TV, you know, whether if it was like older episodes or they were just running like syndicated episodes Mm -hmm. after the show had ended. So I, I had that experience and, you know, I liked Picard as a captain. I didn't, I don't really have a, like a Star Trek captain mm-hmm. like a lot of people do, but yeah. So I'm gonna have to check that out at some point because it does sound good. Yeah, it's well worth watching. The first, it should be known too that if you feel like it's going slow at the beginning, the first three episodes are almost like a three part thing. They don't call it a three parter because unlike a lot of Star Trek, this is a long narrative instead of like individual episodes that are kind of standalone. And that's also a little different than TNG. While TNG had those through lines, they were very much like standalone episodes Mm -hmm. for a lot of the series. And Picard is definitely a longer narrative, but the first three episodes are kind of like act one in a way. Okay. Yeah. So as long as you go in with that mentality and be like, oh, okay, I'm not supposed to really understand everything that's going on right here. Like the end of episode two in particular just ends very abruptly and you're just like, whoa, okay, I, I guess that's over. But it's really the three parts of act one. Okay. Uh, the next one is DC CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths that span. We'd been talking about it for a while. Yeah. All the cameos that were going to be happening on it. I was actually pleasantly surprised. Not surprised. I guess last year's crossover was very disappointing to me. Uh-huh. So I was a little hesitant to see them taking on this like massive thing. And then I kept hearing about all the cameos that they were throwing into it. And I was like, when am I going to have time to do the actual episode if it's all just like a big cameo dump? But it was actually a really fun, epic story and had major ramifications on not just the DCCW shows, 
but kind of the DC television slash movie universe as a whole. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw any of it. I've been weaving in and out of it. So like it's on my DVR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's It lives perpetually in my DVR and has for a while now. But I get exposure just through being on the internet yeah, um, and on social media. And so like you tend to see it every once and again where, you know, somebody makes a comment about something. You're like, oh, wow. You yeah, know, like, yeah. and it's just like, Again, you know, it's just time. Like it's it's an amount of time that when I do have it, it's not the thing that I dedicate mm-hmm. to. You know what I mean? Like there are other things, like your next geek out, in fact. But yeah, so like I'm familiar with what's going on. I'm just not like I don't have a cohesive picture in my head. Okay. Which is fine. I made a list of cameos that were in it that mm-hmm. was, some that were super obscure. I don't know if you want me to skip over those for now as no, to no. not ruin anything. I because I might know what you're talking okay. about because those are the things that I think pop up in the news. A yeah, lot. absolutely. So uh, some of the things that we saw that were super cool to see: Ashley Scott came back as Huntress from the Birds of Prey TV show, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and some of the cameos were very standalone. They were just doing like quick snippets of different Earths. Right, right like right. her clip started off a particular episode. And just watching her world end has happened to so many of them as right. happens in crisis. Uh, she was from Earth 203 because I think Birds of Prey came out in 2003. So a lot of the Earth numbers are either the year that something came out or relating to like an issue of a comic that was relevant to that particular cameo. It's a reference. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, John Wesley Ship came back as the Flash of Earth 90. We've mm-hmm. seen that before. Wentworth Miller, who was uh, Leonard Snart or Captain Cold. Yes. In a lot of the DCCW stuff, he has, I, I believe his character had died at one point, and then there was another version of him on Earth X, and we got another version that was the voice of the Wave Rider for Earth 74. So okay. on that Earth, uh, Rory, uh, Mick Rory was by himself on the Wave Rider. Okay. And instead of having Gideon as the computer, it was Leonard. Okay. Who was voiced by Wentworth Miller. That was cool. Tom Ellis popped in. From Lucifer uh-huh. for Earth 666, of uh, course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, Brandon Routh, we knew about his cameo as Superman. He was from Earth 96. We actually saw two different versions of a Brandon Routh Superman, which was interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And I won't say both because it's actually kind of fun the way that it ends. Uh-huh. Uh, Burt Ward popped up as we knew. He was a resident of Earth 66, of course, right. Batman 66. Yep. Uh, he wasn't necessarily Robin, even though. His outfit was in the colors of the Robin costume. Okay. Like he had a red sweater on that had like yellow uh-huh. lining and then like green pants or something. So it was very blatantly like Robin. Like and definitely he, a reference. And now. he dropped a holy like, oh, okay. holy this thing. That's yeah, like his yeah, only yeah. line, of course. And he's walking a dog who the producers were like, that's Ace. Oh. So that's okay. fun too. Yeah. Robert Wool. This is the one that was like, oh my God. Uh-huh. Even though it's like. The guy who played Alex Knox in the 89 Batman movie, the reporter that's with really? Vicky Vale. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He pops up on a bench in Gotham City with the bat signal up there as his earth is ending. And you hear the Tim Burton Batman theme. Really? Yeah. That's cool. That was super cool. Tom Welling and Erica Durance, we knew they were going to show up as yeah. their Smallville characters again. We got to see where those characters are now. And it makes sense. For those characters, it definitely even makes Smallville more of an Elseworld story in the choice that they make within this show. But I thought it was handled very, very well. And that was on Earth 167, which I think is one of those references to a comic that has to do with the choice that 
this Clark makes. Are we in dancing this around? Are I'm we dancing around a thing that you because, may or may not know because it's just, because you don't want to spoil it for the audience. For you, for, oh, I don't care. Oh, okay, I but I think I know what you're talking about, right? Like he becomes he doesn't become, but like he kind of assumes the role of Jonathan Kent. Kind of, he gave up his powers. Oh, okay, he gives up his powers to start a family, and I him see. and Lois have two daughters. Okay, yeah, so. Lex is wanting to kill all the supermen on all the earth. Uh-huh. And he goes to that one. And he takes out kryptonite and Clark just holds it and like throws it away. He's like, yeah, I gave up my powers. That doesn't work on me anymore. Oh, okay. But it makes sense for that mm-hmm. Clark that we saw in Smallville that eventually he would be like, yeah, I don't want all this. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it does feel like a little irresponsible. Like yeah. <laughs> what happens if someone's massively endangered? Now you can't do anything about right, it. Right, right, right. Uh, we got Kevin Conroy as the Bruce Wayne of Earth 99. He was is, not the Bruce Wayne I expected. So this is so he became like old Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. from Batman Beyond, right? Kind of. I wouldn't even say he's the Batman Beyond old Bruce Wayne, but he is an old Bruce Wayne. Oh, okay. He's actually probably more like the Dark Knight Rises or Dark Knight Returns Bruce Wayne. Oh, okay. Like the giant diesel guy that, yeah i mean he okay. doesn't obviously look like that uh-huh. but i think that's the one he's representing i see and when you watch it it'll make sense okay yeah uh ezra miller was uh-huh. the big cameo yeah, 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 yeah. that people weren't expecting apparently that happened fairly last minute really because they had a hard time just working out the schedule and everything yeah and it does feel tacked on mm-hmm. like it doesn't really have anything to do with the narrative okay but it was just kind of a fun moment to see them interact although i will say when you see the two of them and they kind of comment on each other's costumes and stuff and that's uh-huh. where the jokes come in i was like ooh now like i already didn't really care for ezra miller as barry allen <laughs> and seeing a very good barry allen next to the ezra miller uh-huh. barry allen i was like it just in- reinforces that he's not really great uh, for that role yeah like in, he wasn't in justice league i thought he was he was the right kind of quirky but he was like i i don't, I don't know how to describe it like grant gustin is a good sort mm-hmm. of quirky version of the flash right and then ezra miller is kind of like if the flash needed antidepressants <laughs> a little bit right yeah so it's like you want him to be a little bit more i, I don't know what the word is but i don't even know either it just yeah. doesn't feel right yeah yeah so that's funny because you kind of mentioned all these cameos kind of in the order that i remember them yeah and i don't know if that's an indication of the kind of splash that they made in geek news or you know social Mm. media or anything like that because i definitely remember the tom welling one because that was like former smallville star makes a new cw show and i was like oh he's on a new cw show and then there's like crisis of infinite earth i was like oh yeah it makes sense yeah like i thought he had a new like a different show and then kevin conroy and ezra miller were kind of like Kevin Conroy for obvious reasons, because anybody that's a fan of any of the animated or even like, you know, you know who he is, because you know his voice. And then Ezra Miller is just a big movie star, so his stuff's going to make a bigger splash than most people. But yeah, it's funny. It's like the exact order that I remember or the impact that it made. Yeah, they play with Conroy's cameo a little, too, because before you see him, you hear him. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. So you hear the voice first and you're like, oh, oh, oh. yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so like it's a nice very, little drum roll to lead up. To exactly. The very well done. And then they had references to a whole bunch of other DC Universe shows just to kind of confirm that they are on other mm. universes, but still within that multiverse. Yeah. So because we see Ezra Miller, that means the DCU is a world within this multiverse. All of the DC Universe shows, so Titans, 
Doom Patrol uh-huh. Swamp Thing. Oh wow! Even though that show was already canceled, <laughs> yeah, he got a cameo. Oh, so wow. yeah, they, they and uh, Star Girl, which is coming up, is on another Earth as well. So Excellent. they showed all that stuff in there, and it was just oh, there's even a Green Lantern world drop. Really? Because there's a Green Lantern show being oh. developed for uh, HBO Max. Yeah. The, so the guy he finds that box. And he opens the box, and it's like a glowing green thing, right? That is that? actually not a part of Crisis. Oh, it wasn't? That's during the Arrow finale. Uh, okay. But I'm getting everything crossed out. Yeah, which I think was total fan service, and I don't know if they're actually going to do anything with, because uh-huh. Arrow's over, even though they could use Diggle for whatever they want. Yeah. I don't know what his contract's like, but they do have a Green Lantern series in development for HBO Max. And they showed us just like Oa really quick without giving us specific characters. Right, right. Because right. I don't think they've cast anybody uh-huh. actually for that yet. Yeah, yeah. But just to say that is now also a part of that multiverse as well. Nice. So it's a nice kind of rewriting and reorganizing of everything within the DC TV and movie universes. And it's surprisingly smart for something that DC did. It is. Because yeah. we're kind of used to them screwing up and, or at the very least, like not doing things well in the way that we interpret it to be. I think if a average fan can make a judgment call that this is not a good decision, yep. it's not a good decision. But in this case, it seems like they're making several good decisions that are leading to a better organization of their storyline. So that's great. Yeah, it seems to have cleaned up things a little bit. Yeah, now I'm definitely looking at maybe dedicating some time to that. Because that's, <laughs> I mean, that's cool Like yeah. to see all those drops, you know? Yeah, it was really fun. My next geek out is the Mandalorian. Fuck yeah. I was going to add this to mine, but then I saw it on yours and I was like, let's talk about it. Let's do it. So I really enjoyed the Mandalorian. I thought it was way more digestible than I thought it would be, even though a lot of people have complained that it's a little slow and they're having a hard time getting into it. I'm like, it's a Western. Yeah, of course it's a little slow. Like it's a modern day Western. Some of the episodes are like 30 to 35 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And then I think like the last two are maybe like 45. Yeah. But For the most part, even though there is kind of an overarching narrative, a lot of the episodes do stand alone as just like little adventures. It almost feels like you could get around a campfire and like tell the stories of the Mandalorian. And that's the way that they show these episodes. Yep. I agree that it was particularly digestible. You can watch one, then walk away, then not struggle to remember things from the previous episode. Mm-hmm. I think the the previously on Mandalorian 30 seconds that they put in the beginning of each episode helps, obviously. Yep. But the kind of through line is very basic. Mm-hmm. You know, guy finds baby, guy wants to save baby, mm-hmm. and then that's it for the rest of the episode. So it's very easy to either binge or walk away from, mm-hmm. but it does bring you back. Like, it's not to say that... That's not a a knock on the quality of the show or even like the pacing. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, it's like it's meant to be like a space Western. Right. And I think they put enough in the show that are either references or fun things that you can take away from this show Mm -hmm. that that make it memorable. Like the Baby Yoda meme that was, you know, when he's on the ship pressing the buttons Mm -hmm. that did not die for a solid month, I think. No. Like everybody made their own. I'm also in the camp of the let's not call him Baby Yoda. I'm one of those people. Okay. Yep. I mean, I just do it because it's easier. (laughs) Oh, I know. I know. I just I'm I'm just like, oh, it's inaccurate. And I I hate that. But no, I I know that people are going to call the child Baby Yoda. What's his species name, though? We don't know. We don't have one. We don't know it, right? No. Yeah. but. There's so many good parts of that show. I thought for 
all the time that we don't see his face. Pedro Pascal is pretty great as the Mandalorian. It is hard to act with your face covered all the time. Yeah. Like everything, no mouth visible, no eyes. Everything is mannerisms. Like your mannerisms and your voice tend to be like the only thing that the audience has to work off of. Yeah. And I think for me to a certain extent, you know, there was this suspension of disbelief. So I just kind of added my own interpretation as to like what he was feeling. Mm -hmm. I think they gave you more than enough context to understand what was going on. So, you know, you knew kind of how he was feeling mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, so many like memorable lines, like I have spoken, this is the way. Like, yeah. God, I mean, I used, I have spoken for at least a couple of weeks in my house. Nick Nolte surprisingly good in this. Yeah. Cause like you don't have to look at his like crack at his face, <laughs> like <laughs> being behind that makeup and then just hearing the voice. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's very stoic. Like he doesn't have to emote very much as the character, you know? So, fantastic yeah yeah what did you like about it other than a lot a lot of that and i think that while i would have liked it anyway having the child in there mm -hmm. was something that kept me hooked like that thing is so damn adorable oh yeah <laughs> like it's unreal how like and yes it's a baby and babies are adorable but it's unreal how like the the minute sort of facial features mm -hmm. or facial like expressions or movements that the baby makes you're just like I want to protect that baby. <laughs> like, yeah, you're never like, you're never not thinking like that thing needs to be protected and I want to protect it. Yeah. So it makes you feel like excessively, almost excessively empathetic towards the Mandalorian because it's like, yes, he has a duty, but also look at this baby. <laughs> <laughs> like I get the choice. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like just Carl Weathers, I thought was pretty good too. Yeah. You know, just throughout the whole show uh, towards the end where he's like, do the magic hand thing. I was like, that's great. Like you, you feel like it doesn't have really have a place because everybody has. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Carl Weathers is kind of like this sort of like, you know, he's a bounty hunter manager, I guess the guild manager. It seems almost. like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like for him to have those mannerisms and to talk that way was I, I could see how, you know, it would fit in. So, yeah, I mean, great show. I thought it was interesting. The amount of comedians that had bit parts throughout like bill burr bill burr randomly being in there uh the the guy who read the like uber speeder <laughs> at the beginning that was brian posehn that was brian posehn oh yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah and then kevin smith and jason sudeikis right yeah the speeder guys they were in there and then the person who was operating the uh the ship depot or whatever the repair place yeah was amy sudeikis is that her name Sedaris. Sedaris. Yeah. Yep. Was she wearing makeup? Had to be. Wow. Okay. I mean, I didn't even realize that was her. Yeah. A lot of that part of the episode was about the, the child. Yeah. Oh, totally. But, oh, okay. I got to go back and rewatch it now. Yeah. It's shocking, like, how many comedians were in there. I just found that particularly interesting. It stood out to me. Yeah. I thought Bill Burr's edition was particularly hilarious because yeah. it's like he kind of, I mean, for, I don't know, first 15 years of his career kind of knocked like nerds and like mm -hmm. geeks and like talked about star wars in like a very belittling way and then he, get, he gets like this call from john favreau was like hey you want to be in my show it's like yeah it's about star wars he's like i'm in you know <laughs> yeah and then like he gets he effectively throughout the small portion of the show that he's in he kind of gets to be himself mm -hmm. you know like he kind of has a snark and sort of like a like a Southie sort of like attitude towards everything. Yeah, totally. Despite being like a former Imperial sniper or whatever he was. 
So it was just kind of funny to kind of see, like, to see him enjoy the role, but to also, like, eat mm. what he said about these movies in, like, the last decade or so. So I think Bill Burr is, like, one of the best comedians working. So, I mean, more power to him. And a job's a job. So yeah. go get it. Go get it. <laughs> My next geek out is Watchmen, which Greg talked about previously on the show, but I finally got a chance to watch it, and I thought it was actually pretty fantastic. I did say, I believe, before that I had watched the first episode at the time that we talked about it, and I just had no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah. I later listened to a chat between Mark Bernardin and Damon Lindelof, where Lindelof talked more about the show, and that was on purpose, so... Lindelof's attitude was that by the end of the first episode, he knew there were a lot of people coming in that were huge fans of the Watchmen novel and had this whole like set of knowledge that they're coming in with. And then there's another crowd that's never read the novel, has no idea about any of the backstory, and he wanted both to start on the same page. So he purposely created a first episode where at the end of it, you're both going, what the hell did I just watch? Mm -hmm. Because we get we get some stuff that comes back from the novel, but we also get a lot of new characters. We've seen how the world has evolved since then, and I thought it was handled incredibly well. I thought the way that they treated the legacy characters was completely fair. They even further added so much depth to uh, Hooded Justice as a character, because mm -hmm. in the novel, he is a character, but you don't, don't really know anything about him. Yeah, He's just kind of there, and he does stuff, and it's like, okay, that's Hooded Justice, but here you get this whole backstory to that character that is absolutely amazing, and I'm shocked that one of Lindelof's inspirations was taking in kind of the massacre of Black Wall Street, like a real thing that actually happened, that he was like, oh, I want to educate people about this while also telling this story that is the evolution of the Watchmen world. And he somehow found a way to put that all together. Yeah. That is not an easy task yeah. at all. And it's a particularly sensitive issue, too. It's not like I can't even think of an element of history that is not fraught with some sort of emotional pain, you mm -hmm. know. But he took he takes like a particularly sensitive topic, especially in this day and age. Mm -hmm. And he overlays the story on top of it. Full disclosure, I haven't, I haven't finished it yet, so I've only seen, like, the first two episodes. But, yeah, I mean, I felt very much the same when I watched the first episode. I am of the... I'm probably somewhere in the middle where mm -hmm. I did read the Watchmen no graphic novel, but I'm, I don't remember a lot of it. So I'm kind of going to it with a fresh mind, but I also have some preconceived notions about what to expect, mm -hmm. you know? And then I did watch that first episode and think, like... To spend the time yeah it was kind of off-putting yeah i mean like but see the thing is like i talked to other people who had no preconceived notions about the watchman whatsoever and they just started watching it because they had heard how good it was mm -hmm. and those people at the same at, were very much of the same mind they were like paul i don't understand what's happening should i continue to watch it i'm like i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't have an answer for you because we feel the same i feel the exact same way and i think as a way of managing audience expectation i think that's like a very smart move because you're kind of just cleaning the slate you'd be like listen this is my story this is mm -hmm. how i'm choosing to tell it walk with me yeah you know and you're kind of seeding people as you go and i think maybe it was after like episode four or five when like a lot of the press started to become much more positive about the mm -hmm. show. 
I think you start seeing more stories about how The Watchmen is like this phenomenal storytelling TV show and you need to watch it. Like if you don't have HBO, go get it. Like, you know, a lot of these like very positive, praiseworthy articles about the show. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, again, (laughs) I don't have time, but I'm getting to it, you know? Yeah. And I respect them for a couple other reasons, too. One, they had a 10 episode order. Damon did nine. Mm-hmm. He said, we don't need 10. I'm not doing filler. Like, mm-hmm. we only need nine episodes for this. Smart. Yeah, yeah. So I respect that. I also respect the fact that he walked away at the end of season one and was like, yeah, this is the story I want to tell. This is it. I don't plan on doing a season two. Mm-hmm. I would need a new story. And people say that all the time. They come back. Reports have said that he has exited the show in general. And a producer, I believe it was a producer, HBO, was like, if Damon doesn't want to do more, we're not doing more. Because that was the whole reason we did this to begin with. Yeah. Which the future could prove me wrong. There could be money dropped somewhere. And we've seen that happen so many times before. But where it currently stands in the attitudes of people in regard to the show and just having it be those nine episodes that stand alone and be what it is. I love that. It doesn't happen a lot. I agree. I mean, the fact that he I mean, I didn't know that there was a 10 episode order, but the fact that he just walked away without feeling the need to fulfill the studio's Mm -hmm. wishes much respect there i mean that's just that just that's just that big dick energy you know like you just said like you know what you want to accomplish and you have a plan for it and you executed it and rather than just throwing in some bullshit at the end or you know somewhere in the middle you just kept it consistent and kept that same energy the whole time Mm -hmm. so definitely respect yeah the last geek out is Knives Out, which I actually got to see in the theater before it made its way out. I don't know if it's still in the theaters. It might be in some here and there, but I imagine you have not had a chance to see if you're no, not even I'm having time. My head yeah, violently. if you don't even have time to watch stuff at home, then uh, Knives Out was a whodunit murder mystery from Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and this is it, while he's dabbled in sci-fi, like doing Looper and then doing The Last Jedi. This is the kind of stuff where he really excels. Mm -hmm. And this movie was just absolutely fantastic. It's one of the best movies I saw that came out last year, even though I technically saw it this year. But it is, in a way, kind of a classic whodunit, but also at the same time kind of twists a lot of the tropes of Mm -hmm. a whodunit. Yeah. And yet still manages to be a whodunit after all is said and done. So it's, it's very wisely executed. And I'm really happy to see that they're already working on potentially doing a sequel uh the idea being not that they're just going to continue this story the idea that daniel craig's character who is like the detective that comes in to do it he's going to be the through line through this kind of new franchise so he'll be the detective in whatever mystery is coming up next it'll have nothing to do with any of the characters we've seen before we're just going to get a new mystery and i'm like that's awesome what did you think of daniel craig in the show i thought he was great he does like this southern drawl throughout the yeah. entire movie you see it in the trailer yeah that at first you're just like oh that's different but yeah. it's he's still charming as hell and his character is very likable even though he doesn't have to talk that much uh-huh. and he's not even the main character he's there as almost a facilitator of the mystery oh okay but he's not the main character it's not about him interesting yeah well i mean the southern accent I, it makes sense like i saw logan lucky mm-hmm. and he had like a southern accent in that movie and I wouldn't say it's believable. It is passable. Mm. So, I mean, it must have gotten better since then. So, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I've heard a lot of good things about the movie. 
I've heard that Chris Evans is excellent in the movie. He is, yep. And it is like, I have a lot of like nerdy friends who like very similar things, mm-hmm. but they saw this movie and thought, oh, this is really refreshing. So I definitely want to see it. The way that some of like the publicity photos for the movie were portrayed, mm-hmm. like with all the knives and everything, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm expecting one thing, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to get something else. Yeah, that is literally just a chair in the house. Yeah. That's the whole significance of that. And it's okay. it's just an interesting visual. Uh-huh. And I think it, it reminds people of Game of Thrones a little bit. So it became this like centerpiece. The movie starts off like a mystery would all the characters being interrogated. I see. And they're being interrogated while sitting in that chair. I see. That's kind of the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, I'm probably going to have to wait till it comes out on (laughs) Blu-ray or on demand, but I will definitely put that on the list. It's great. It's great. Let's get into our freakouts. Oh, freakout! Well, like we said at the top of the episode, both of us have really tested our health insurance in the first quarter of 2020. So mine is obviously health-related. I got pneumonia in the first couple weeks of January. There was something going around. Um, One of my kids got sick during Christmas when we were down in Pennsylvania visiting the family. And then I got back and I was just struggling to do anything. I just thought it was like this cold that I couldn't get over. But I remember thinking like, oh, wow, I'm like really weak. Very uncharacteristic for like a cold, Mm. you know? And not it wasn't just energy levels. It was just like ability to move. Okay. And then I went into the doctor. The doctor was like, ah, you don't have a fever. So I don't think it's anything too serious. I went home and then got a fever right away. <laughs> like, it's like the minute I got home, I was just like, I lied down in bed and thought to myself, it's a little warm. Mm. Took my temperature, had a fever, called the doctor back. And they were like, okay, now that you have a fever, we're pretty sure it's pneumonia. Because it was like the one puzzle piece out of that diagnosis that was missing. Yeah. So we want you to go get like a chest x-ray and then went and did that. And I think they must've seen the x-ray and then just immediately thought like, yeah, we don't need an expert to read this, Mm. you know? And then uh, they called me back within like 45 minutes and they were like, yeah, you have pneumonia. We're going to put you on some meds and you can't go anywhere. And I was like, okay. Like basically just stayed at home, um, recovered for about a week and a half, and then eventually got better, went back to work, and things are groovy. But yeah, that two and a half week period, mm-hmm. like it was horrible. Like oh, I wasn't sure. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. If you don't know anything about pneumonia, it's like basically just like either a bacterial or viral infection deep within your lungs. So mm-hmm. like your typical cold is at the top of your lungs. Mm. So it, it affects the bronchial tubes at the top. So that that gives you like the coughing and the mucus and stuff like pneumonia is towards the bottom, like actually deep within the lung toward the bottom of the organ. And that can cause a number of issues. And the fun thing about having pneumonia is that after you get better, you tell everybody you had pneumonia and then you hear all of their pneumonia stories. And then you're like, Holy shit, I could have died. Like Jeez. literally, I had people at work who were like, oh, my husband had pneumonia. Like it got to his heart. And I'm like, wait, it can go to your heart. (laughs) I started like furiously researching and I was like, oh, my God, I could have died. Like, I mean, I didn't take it that seriously because I was weak as shit. Like I couldn't move, like Mm -hmm. could barely sleep. One fun thing that I found out was that 
your blood oxygen can go down to 96%, and that is dangerously low. 96% doesn't sound like a low number. No. Right? It sounds like you're fine. Yeah. Sounds like a passing grade. It sounds like an A. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But apparently for your blood oxygen, it needs to be pretty high. Yeah. Like it needs to be at or close to 100%. I guess it's not like maybe 100% is like, you know, you're operationally successful, (laughs) but Mm. like, you know, anything below that is like something's wrong. And obviously with pneumonia, you have problems with breathing and all that stuff. So shout out to the doctors and everybody that took care of me and my wife, who was very patient because I was a little bitch for that first, like (laughs) for those two weeks. I was just, I was like, I can't do it. Can you give me some water? Like, I like, and it wasn't even like me putting on a show. It was just like, I literally could not do anything. Like, I was just liquids all the time. It's just like talk about like a funny side effect of it. The 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 poopocalypse of <laughs> pneumonia is hilarious because you're only eating soft foods or liquids. Oh geez. And you're taking antibiotics the whole time. So we Yeah, it's just like a <laughs> water slide from hell. It is just like all that stuff just going in and out and your body's only absorbing some of it. So it's just like, yeah, it's a nightmare. With like in the current environment with like the whole the coronavirus thing mm. pneumonia being a result of that i mean just heads up it sucks don't get pneumonia i don't think that's a public service announcement i think everybody kind of understands that but yeah i don't think that's anyone's goal at yeah, the moment coming from somebody who just went through it just believe me when i say take care of yourself if you do anything like that can weaken your lungs like if you smoke or vape you know think twice because that shit if your lungs are already weak mm-hmm. pneumonia takes advantage of that like, oh yeah your body is less capable of fighting back so yeah that was my fun first two three weeks of 2020 yeah my uh my my beginning of 2020 wasn't much better <laughs> yeah and yours is like it, it affected the other end of your body so. yeah and mine mine isn't something i caught it's just something my body likes to make every now and then so I, God, it's crazy that I've been doing this podcast enough to where I talked about the first time I got kidney stones <laughs> and now we're at the second time. It's been like eight years, which yeah. they were actually surprised at. They're like, once you get a kidney stone, you tend to be more prone to them going forward. Yeah. And I'm a generally dehydrated guy in general, just because of my job and mm-hmm. being a teacher is so friggin' unhealthy in general. I see. Not only just because of how little water I drink because I rarely get bathroom breaks. Mm -hmm. So it's like I can either be dehydrated and suffer the consequences of that, or I can drink enough water like I should be and suffer the consequences of having to go like sometimes a half hour without being able to pee. And I mean, not just I have to pee every half hour, but I mean like the half hour once you feel like I got to go, but then still having to wait a half hour before you actually can and dealing with that pain for a half hour. So there's no positive there's no middle side. Ground, no, man. no. Between that and the fact that I sit in front of a computer all day, and my job is incredibly unhealthy. I have no windows in my room. <laughs> it is just awful. Right. But I got another kidney stone. Uh, I woke up. It surprised me. It came out of nowhere. Like, I think the last one I got gradual pain, and then I eventually felt it. This one, I woke up at like 530 in the morning on a weekend, a Saturday morning, like somebody stabbed me in the side. Wow. I got woken up out of my sleep just like, oh boy. Really? Yeah. And the first thing was like, I, I, I thought maybe I just had like one of those weird like phantom pains that sometimes you get woken up and then you, it slowly goes away and you're like, oh, okay. I don't yeah, know yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, what yeah. that was. But or a cramp or something. Yeah. 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 
but it just lingered uh and then it started to get worse and worse and worse over the next hour or so i tried going back to sleep obviously but couldn't do that so eventually i was like okay this is starting to feel familiar Mm -hmm. and it's one that i don't like and then i started stressing out about it which made it even worse uh fortunately i live within like a mile not even like even closer i could walk to the hospital i'm so close to it okay and uh, i drove myself over there checked myself in the er by the time i got there and again it's less than a mile away uh-huh. i got him out of my car and i'm walking across the parking lot like almost a zombie my arms are completely tingly my ankles are tingly i'm like what the hell is going on uh-huh. so i was like really kind of freaking out And I think it was, I don't know if that's what panic attacks feel like. I don't know if I've had a panic attack. I've heard people say it feels like you're having a heart attack or it feels like you're dying. And I'm like, I was legitimately questioning like my physical condition. Like, am I even going to make it into the hospital before I drop? Mm -hmm. So I get in there. I go to check in. They want to get my health insurance card and all that stuff. As I go to reach my wallet, my hands shaking like crazy. I'm having a hard time. They're asking me very simple questions. My brain is so deprived of oxygen and blood yeah. that I'm having a hard time answering. I'm just so foggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, someone will be with you in about 20 minutes or so. And I'm like, <laughs> so <laughs> I, go sit. I sit in the waiting room of the ER. There's like, I'm there and there's like two other people that have just like come out and I'm like shifting into every possible position I can to maybe uh-huh. reduce the pain. It was torture like when you're in that amount of pain yeah. and i'm sure you've <laughs> having yeah. just gone through everything you did time slows down so oh, much yeah so like 20 minutes of having to deal with that was an eternity yeah and then i get in there and i spent about seven hours in the hospital between just like they hit me with an iv to mm-hmm. like take away some of the the nausea and uh hydrate me a little more i guess i don't even know they through some other stuff in there uh, <laughs> but i i refused any pain medication because okay. i just i, I don't ugh, yeah, all that yeah, stuff yeah. makes me feel even worse but then by the time i left i was feeling pretty good and they were like yeah they sent me in for a cat scan i had a kidney stone that was six millimeters by five millimeters the last one i had was like eight millimeters or something so they okay. had to blast it and blast it meaning meaning i had a a, a surgery where they go in and they use a machine that fires sound waves at it oh. and shatters it. Oh, so it's like uh, the ultrasound machine that they use. Kind of, yeah. But like it, I think, yeah, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And that, that way it'll break it up into smaller pieces so that you, then you can pass those. The thing that really sucked about the first time I went mm-hmm. through this process is that it included a surgery where they put a stent in me <sighs> to widen that tube no! so that it could all pass through. <sighs> And that getting it in is not the problem because you're you're out and they just do it all. But then when you have it in, I didn't want to leave. I had it in for about like two weeks and I didn't want to leave my house because I felt like I had to pee every 15 minutes, uh-huh. even if I didn't have to, because there's something in there. Yeah. So your body's just like, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you also <laughs> the weirdest part is you have a little string hanging out. Uh-huh. because that's what they need to use yeah. to actually start the pullout process. And the even worse part is the fact that when they do pull it out, you're fully conscious. <clears throat> I like, I know what it feels like to go to the gynecologist because they have you sitting there. They put your legs in stirrups. They inject using not like a needle, but like a, a plastic syringe. Mm-hmm. They fire numbing cream up mm-hmm. and then they 
pull it out. <sighs> and I passed out when they pulled it out. Oh, it is shit. arguably the worst pain I've ever felt in my life, even though they numbed it so just this before. Is, so this is for the first time, right? This was the first time. Okay. So when I'm thinking that I have a stabbing pain and I need to go to the ER, I'm like, not the stent, not the stent. Not the, <laughs> I think that's the thing that stressed me out so much because uh -huh. I didn't want to have to go through all that again. Yeah. It was torture. Okay. And a kidney stone, by and large, if it doesn't cause some sort of infection, it's not going to kill you. It's just immensely uncomfortable. It is insanely uncomfortable because what actually happens is it gets into your ureter uh -huh. and it blocks the liquid from draining out of your kidney. Right. And that's what causes the pain. It's mm -hmm. not the stone itself necessarily. It's what it's blocking and like making everything else expand. That right. sucks. So I ended up going to see a urologist. And after the CAT scan, they told me the size of it and everything. And they were like, oh, it's not big enough to where you're going to need to get a stent probably. But we do want to think about maybe using the machine and hitting it with the sound waves and stuff. So I had to wait a few days until the machine was available at the hospital. It only happens like once a week or something. I don't know. That, that's what I was told. Okay. Yeah. So I had to wait a few days. Uh, they were like, we're going to see if it passes on its own before we even do that. Uh -huh. And uh, we need to get you in for an x-ray because if we can't see in the x-ray, the machine sees it with the x-ray. So if we can't see it with the x-ray, we can't do uh, uh -huh. the sound blasty thing. We, uh -huh. can't, we can't sound wave it. <laughs> Megatron. <laughs> so I get the x-ray. X-ray techs apparently can't tell you anything. Yeah, they can't. Yeah. But after he x-rayed my kidney, he was like, oh, I'm going to x-ray your bladder, too. I was like, OK, it's not in my kidney. Uh -huh. So they're doing the because if it gets through the ureter or drops into the bladder, you won't feel it anymore at that point because uh -huh. now it's just waiting to pass yeah. and get out of there. Right, right, right. So based on that, I'm assuming it's in my bladder and like out of harm's way for the most part. Then uh, they said so they're like, OK, we can't see it in the x-ray. As a final precaution, just to make sure you're clear, we're going to send you in for an ultrasound. And if we can't see it anywhere, we're going to assume that it's passed because you haven't felt any pain in like a week. And we're just going to assume uh -huh. you're good. So I go get the ultrasound. I never hear back from them, which I assume means. <laughs> Wait, is, they didn't get back in touch with you? Never, never got in touch with me after the ultrasound. Wow. Well, okay. So I guess. Which has happened to me from various doctors throughout my life. Like. You would think they yeah. would just call you and be like, oh, you're good. FYI. Yeah. Instead of, oh, I'm just going to ghost you. <laughs> Which is wild. Yeah. Like, and uh, this was weeks ago, and I've never heard anything back from them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we obviously don't have a video component here, but that whole time that Rob was telling that story, was, I could feel my face making like very cringy facial expressions. Mm -hmm. That I'm sure every male listening to my story is in pain right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the like the catheter thing is, I mean, that's one thing. I think more people have experienced that than kidney stones mm -hmm. just because catheters are a thing that you get, especially if you've gone into like surgery mm -hmm. and to be put out for any reason. Fortunately, I've not have to had to endure that myself. So fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like the idea that like a kidney stone is just basically crystallized uh what urea i think it is right it's just it's a crystal yeah that lives or that lives but is present in a very sensitive part of the body and if you think of crystals kind of just like shards mm -hmm. you're peeing shards mm -hmm. fortunately this time it sounds like you didn't really feel it at least i, I had some pain that would have 
let me know that it was passing, but there's no way of knowing that it's passing. Like it's they just so small. The or? first time they gave me a strainer and I had to use it every time I peed to look for the pieces. But like you're looking for something that is pretty tiny or even fragments of something that's already pretty tiny. Uh-huh. And they didn't even bother. So I, this was not a great urologist. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I went back to him before he was like, and I was like, I haven't I felt OK for a week. So I'm assuming it's passed. He's like, oh, have you been straining your urine? I was like, uh, with what? Like last time they gave me a thing. They told me what to do. This nobody like I don't remember. That was eight years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have the strainer anymore. No, nobody. Nobody was like, hey, you should probably be straining your pee every time you pee. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't I don't mean to speak ill of this urologist because obviously he didn't treat me, but Sounds like he may have overlooked some critical steps. It's possible, but I've been feeling okay, so I'm assuming I'm out of the woods. I can only hope. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Man, January sucks. Yeah, and it got worse for me because there was another thing, not a health thing, just another thing that sucked. Is it on your freakouts? It is, yeah. It's uh, It's my lovely car of 14 years. My car needs to not be my car anymore (laughs) because it is it is definitely getting near its end of life uh so i failed inspection at like october something of last year yeah and i went in to get it looked at uh they said that i needed two new front tires i was like okay no problem sure i got those that's like 200 bucks no big deal uh and then they were like oh your emissions thing is being triggered we need to figure out what's wrong with your emission system which could be any number of things. Yeah. So I bring that in. They're like, oh, it's going to be about $800 to fix your emissions problem. I was like, no, that's it's kind of steep for a 14-year-old car that has 230,000 miles on it. But you know what? I can't afford a new car right now. So uh-huh. I guess I have to keep patching for the moment. Yeah. So I get that fixed. I go to get another inspection. They're like, it's still showing a red light. But apparently that can happen with an emission system because uh-huh. you have to give it like a week of driving to kind of purge out and refresh the system so it doesn't keep giving those like yeah. false readings or whatever. So I was like, okay, I was heading up to Canada soon anyway. I'm like, I'll take care of a week's worth of driving uh-huh. in like a couple days. Yeah. So it ended up being like a thousand miles of driving yeah. there and back. And I bring it in again to get inspected and they're like, still failing. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, uh-huh. So I end up bringing it back to the same mechanic because it's like a state licensed mechanic. And if they don't successfully fix the problem the first time around, they then become like liable for any repairs to get it to the point where it needs to pass inspection. Right. So I bring it back in and they do a little run over it and they're like, oh, uh, the computer says your transmission is dying. Or mm-hmm. it's on its way out. Okay. And I'm like, well, that's a massive repair. And that's yeah. going to be very expensive. And I wish somebody had told me before, before I spent $1,000 fixing other stuff on my car. Yeah. So that I could have saved that money to go and get a new car. Yeah. So uh, my car is not fixed from that. I am waiting <laughs> uh-huh. for it to die on me at any time. Uh, and I did, I did get some money from sources my uh corner business where i whore myself out now i th- there was a retirement fund that was being closed and it's all very boring but i uh-huh. ended up getting a nice chunk of change from a past job that i'm gonna use towards getting a used car i still can't afford like a new car but i'll get like i'll get a fairly newer newish newish yeah. newish used car so uh, it's a matter of just kind of looking for it and getting it done but 
Oh, God. That model of car that you have at 230,000 miles is kind it's it's worthy of one of those commercials on tv mm-hmm. where you're like this is the most reliable car in america yeah. Meet rob he's got a you know this car with two hundred thirty thousand miles on it. it's mm-hmm. like this car and you slap the roof <laughs> you're like, well i mean it's a toyota and yeah. toyotas are known for having engines that last forever yeah they have it's the other motors. stuff yeah, yeah it's the other stuff around them that starts to go and that's always been the case my engine has never been the problem yeah, that a transmission problem is pretty dramatic. I mean, yeah. that usually means the car is dying or is dead. Yeah, they're um, like, it's going to get you from point A to point B. Not that fast. Like, my pickup is not great, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it'll it'll get me there. Like, it's not just going to die on the road, most likely, but I, uh, yeah. I definitely need to get something new. Yeah, like, if you think about the car like a human body, it's like if you'd blow an Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. You can technically walk. Yeah. You know, your heart and lungs are still working just fine. <laughs> yeah. But you're not going to get anywhere very quickly and it's going to hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm, but I'm sorry. Hey, it, it's, it lasted 14 years. Yeah. And I bought it brand new. Yeah. My car, my last car before the one I have now lasted for, yeah, it was 15 years when I traded it in. Yeah. And it was like, because I'm, I was a car guy for a while. I, you know, fixed it and worked on it and did things to it and experimented on it and did all this stuff. So, you know, like I took it to the edge and then I brought it back and then went back and forth. So, mm-hmm. you know, that car had been through a lot. But at the end, I mean, it was kind of, it was still working pretty well. But 200 and what, 230,000 miles? Yeah. That's, you should take a picture of that. I know, right? I, I just, I hate the process of shopping for cars. I'm not a haggler. I'm not a negotiator. I'm like, mm-hmm. tell me the price and let me buy it. That's it. Just, the waste of time involved yeah, in tough. buying a yeah. car. I'm like, nope. So I'm going to do all my homework. I'm going to come in pre-financed. I'm going to be like, give me the car. This is the price you were offering online. Give me the car. Like, this is what I got. This is what you're offering. Yep. Let's move. Yep. I'm not dealing with that. And that's crap. a smart way to do it too. Yeah. <laughs> Let me buy it on Amazon and ship <laughs> it to me, please. They have that. They, they do have something where you can buy cars online. Yeah. It's like car guru or car or something like they, you literally just go shopping online. Yep. Which is a weird way to buy a car. Hey, I don't but, care, man. I mean, I'll take it for a test ride or whatever, but then give me the car. Yeah. Give me the car. <laughs> give me. Also, the geekgeneration.com slash support if anybody <laughs> wants to help me and make this year a little bit more positive. We need to we need to turn this around. Yeah. Okay. Um, the next one is Doctor Who getting back into geeky stuff. Uh, I'm just going to fall asleep while you talk about this. No, this will be brief. This will be pretty quick. So I've watched like the New Year's special and the first episode, which was a two-parter of the new season of Doctor Who. And I haven't even felt motivated to watch more of it. I think I'm just, I don't know if I'm like waning on the concept of the show or if it's, I don't think it's the current doctor. I don't even think it's the companions, even though I still think three companions is too much where you don't have enough time to spend on the individual characters. But I, I think it's just the stories. I'm just like kind of bored by it lately. And it's a bummer. The the first part of what you were talking about where you don't you don't know what it was mm. that was making you like your interest wane on the show. I've experienced that myself, you know, with several shows and particularly actually with anime. Mm. Like things have that were once appealing to me very either very slowly or very quickly became not that interesting. And 
to make it brief, I found that, you know, my tastes had changed. Mm. It wasn't that these shows were bad or that things about them were unappealing, um, you know, generally. It's more that it was just specifically me. And I like for me, it was like this weird sort of like, I'm not tired of this. You're like, it was almost like an ego thing for me. Yeah. Where, like it was so hard to let it go. I don't know why I'm saying like I'm going into this, but I think something that you had said in the beginning about you didn't not knowing why kind of like struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's happening with you. I mean, obviously you have a lot invested in Doctor Who. Yeah. But is that something? Is that a possibility? It might be. It might be why I keep trying to stick with it. But it's also like I came into Doctor Who way late mm-hmm. compared to a lot of people. Like I started watching when matt smith was already the doctor yeah and i went back to the eccleston stuff Uh like i didn't start with matt smith he was just the current doctor when i decided to give doctor who a chance right and i started watching and i like any geek does when they find something like just devours the entire thing i was so into it i loved every bit of it i love even though and i think this is just the nature of the show every time they change doctors i was like oh man because uh-huh. I was really attached to that doctor. It becomes then, a part of you. Right? Yeah. And then you get used to the new one. You're like, yeah, this one's great. And then next time they change, you're like, oh, man. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah. same thing keeps happening. And it kind of repeated like that. And then when we got to Peter Capaldi, it was that. And it took longer this time for me to be like, oh, he's great. Because uh-huh. he was kind of just a dick at first, like okay. his version of the doctor. And Peter Capaldi is kind of like a dick, like his character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are. So it was it was harder for me to get to that, but at least I had the carryover of the companion. Uh-huh. So, and they do that a lot to yeah. where like they'll they'll not abandon everything from before, so that you have something to hold on to as a you way move to shoehorn into the new you one. Into the new one yeah. Right uh, when they when they made this last change from Capaldi to Jodie Whittaker, they got rid of like it's a new Doctor, so that's new. They got rid of all the companions and started fresh with new companions. They got rid of the showrunner and have a completely new showrunner. Like there's no holdover from before. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be very jarring and the hardest part. And I was like totally on board at first. And then I was thinking about it when I started watching the season premiere, which I wasn't thrilled with, it, even though it was like a Bond parody. Really? Like it was a James Bond parody. Okay. And it, I was like, I've just seen better. Like Austin Powers is a way better Bond parody. <laughs> um but I, I realized that when I was thinking back to the previous season with Whitaker, I couldn't remember one story oh. from that season. Like none of it stuck with me. Right. But I can tell you so much about like Tennant stuff and Matt Smith stuff and even some of Capaldi stuff and Eccles. Like I remember a lot of stuff from those. And there were some stories that really, really resonated with me and really stuck. And nothing since the new showrunner has taken over has been like that's amazing i was just like uh-huh. i'm just like going through the motions of it yeah like the continuity issue could very well be it mm. right if you're used to something being continuous throughout a process whether that like whether that be characters or stories or just the general way that the show is put together mm-hmm. Like you said, it is very jarring for that to happen where everything is taken away all at once. Mm. So maybe that's just it. Like, it's just you having like having to adapt to all this and kind of reacclimate to everything that's going on in the show. It's not yeah. necessarily that it's bad. It's just that you don't have that 
almost like security blanket of the thing from the previous season or Mm -hmm. the previous arc or whatever, you know, like it's just not there anymore. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Yeah, that might be it. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. It's it's still like on the back burner. It's a thing where if I run out of other stuff, I might get to. Mm-hmm. But it's not one of my big priorities right now. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. My last freak out is kind of streaming as a whole. So this so, is Twitch. Yeah, this is Twitch streaming. Uh, I've been streaming for probably close to five years at mm-hmm. this point. And I, I just kept having the thought of like, how long do you put into a project before you realize it's not necessarily going to go the way you wanted to or even like be that much fun anymore and then just cut ties with it even though like i have a hard time just because you invest so much time into something it's kind of the doctor who thing as well right right. you invest so much time into something and then you're like well i have to see this through Uh even though there's no through there's no like necessarily end point to this concept but like how long do you give a project before you're just like i'm gonna cut my losses and move on and hopefully work on something else so I've, I've just had a very like love hate relationship with streaming lately. And uh, what is it about it? That is the hate part. Cause the love is obviously pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess it's lack of success. I feel like I'm a failure as a streamer. Mm-hmm. I use kind of my birthday stream as a gauge to see like where I'm at every year. Right. And it's been slowly going downhill. It's waning. Okay. It's waning some of the people who used to watch regularly don't show up anymore. Uh-huh. And the the audience in general is just a lot smaller than it was. And if you're going to stream like people are like, don't worry about the money, just have fun streaming. I'd be like, yeah, I'll have fun. But if nobody's watching, then what's the point of doing it? If like, income is part of the reason that and you're income doing is it. part of it too. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm at a place where I can't just do stuff for the fun of it. I just don't have that kind of time and budget yeah so if i'm going to do something i have to have some sort of financial success from it or else i can't keep doing it yeah so it is at that point where i'm like okay i'm putting a lot of time to this that and the fact that i'm like i'm getting to the point where i'm like i'm getting older i am not nearly where i want to be Uh career-wise like i work a part-time job so that i can do content creation on the side yeah and if the content creation isn't going to make up that income of the stuff just to have a normal, comfortable living, then something's got to change. Right. So like I'm, I'm, there's things I'm going to keep doing. Like I'm currently starting production on the next version of wheel of geek gen, which is mm-hmm. a game show that we do on Twitch. That has always been very successful. That is the most fun thing that I do on Twitch. That's not going to stop. Yeah. But I think I need to change what I'm doing as far as creating content I might not be able to just stream anymore and I might need to, instead of like doing my gameplay on Twitch, like start doing more YouTube videos and stuff like that mm-hmm. and change the direction of my content because I can't, I obviously can't do everything. No one can. Right. And I'm doing two podcasts now. Uh, I would love to bring back random movie club at some point, but yeah. that became, that became too much time and not enough people listening either. Right. So I don't know. I'm just constantly weighing all these things. And I just have not been happy with streaming. I generally have fun while I'm doing it, but then I stop and I look at the numbers and people go, oh, you're not supposed to look at the numbers, but like, stop it. I don't like the mentality that everybody just streams for fun. That's the attitude everybody should have. If a streamer starts thinking about money and not just having fun, then they're they're a sellout and we're not going to watch them and support them. It's such a weird culture on Twitch to where you can't talk about money and you can't think about business. And it's not, I don't like, I don't think that's realistic. If people are 
doing Twitch to generate some form of income, if that's part of the purpose mm -hmm. built into the reason why you are doing Twitch or mm -hmm. why you are streaming on Twitch, then it is only natural that that is part of your success matrix. Like yeah. Understanding like where you're going with this and what it will become. Yeah. Because if you truly just are doing it to have fun, then you wouldn't be accepting money for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And exactly. that goes for everybody that does it, you mm -hmm. know, like you wouldn't accept donations, period. Yeah. You don't have to set up donations yeah. on Twitch. You don't have to set up a subscribe button. You don't have to accept bits, but anybody that does is doing it for money. Yeah. And the other problem too, is people are like, oh, those two things are mutually exclusive. You can either want to make money or you can want to have fun be like, no, no, no. The reason I want to make money on Twitch is that I can be on Twitch more because it is fun. Yeah. Why? I don't understand why people can't wrap their head around that idea. And the idea that the whole idea of like selling out, you know, mm -hmm. that's not a new idea that's been around yeah. for as long as entertainment has. Mm -hmm. And the idea that people think that selling out is somehow being a detriment to the creation of your content is not accurate. Yeah. I mean, it is it is only accurate insofar as you having like major companies sponsor your media yep. because then they can obviously push you in a certain direction. Sure. But if you are a crowdfunded, I mean, you know, I use that term loosely. If you are a crowdfunded enterprise where you are creating content that people are subscribing to, not people are making you do certain content, mm -hmm. right? If you're doing it in that way, then it's not really selling out. Right. And paying attention to the numbers is not selling out. And, you know, wanting to create content and make income from it is not selling out. It's really just you trying to perpetuate a cycle that is healthy. Yeah. Because right now, the cycle, it sounds like, is very top heavy in that you are creating this content, but the engine driving it back around to the top, the income. Mm -hmm is not as strong as you'd like it. Right. Right. And it's not something I go on stream and complain about. I can understand someone not wanting to watch somebody who just goes on stream and is like, oh, why aren't you guys supporting me? Blah, blah, blah. I don't do that. Yeah, that's like... I have fun on stream, and I'm talking about it here because a podcast is a different medium, yeah. and this is this is what podcasting is for. Right. Um, and we vent our frustrations as part of the show. It's a freak out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a freak out. It's so, very theme appropriate. Right. But it's but something I'd say and I feel like I have to remind people because we all have this mindset of like content creators just have to give shit away for free and mm -hmm. never expect anything for it. Yeah. People that I watch who stream full time as a career on Twitch, they need that money. Yeah. And when someone gives them money, they're still like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And yes, it is, especially when people are donating sometimes like a hundred dollars at a shot. I'm like, wow, that is that a is lot. super generous, yeah. and that's a lot of money for one person to throw. And they're always like, I can't believe anyone would give me money. I'm like, are you kidding me? You've been doing this for years, and people have been giving you money. How yeah. do you still not understand that people are giving you money to do this? Right. Clearly, your content's good, and they want to support you. Right. My mindset that I go in with is, I think my shit's good. And when someone gives me money, yes, am I appreciative? A hundred percent, I'm appreciative. Uh -huh. But I also feel like I earned it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I'm going to thank them, and I'm going to be like, that's super nice. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me. But also, like, I feel like I earned that. I've been working my ass off right. to make shit. So this is my job. Right. And yeah, I, I I don't think I deserve money, but I will work my ass off to earn it. 
And and when you give it to me, it makes me feel appreciated and allows me to make more. Yeah, it's not a crazy idea. But if you ever bring it up, people freak out. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's nuts. I don't understand it, to be honest. If it's it, it's built into the whole content creation cycle, like mm-hmm. it's the engine that drives it. Like if you don't have money, you can't live in this world. It's yeah. just it's not possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I've brought this up before, but. There's a comedian that I'm a huge fan of, Andrew Schultz. He has, I mean, at this point, he has so much going on, it's crazy. But he started off as a struggling comedian Mm -hmm. in New York City, right? Very not knowing in which direction to go. You know, he thought that the things that he wanted were driven by the the people who were the gatekeepers, right? And then he found a way through crowdfunding and putting his content out in a very smart way that led him to having quite literally a top five Patreon in the world. Mm. I think I told you about this at one point, right? Like, I don't think it was on air, but they make upwards of like $60,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And that is big money. Oh, yeah. Right. And though, like, it's remarkable. Like, he gives out so much content for free. So he has he has a number of podcasts, but the the big one is flagrant too. The theme of it is very like it's very flagrant. It's in your face. It's mm-hmm. sometimes offensive, but it's all in the vein of comedy and trying to make jokes out of uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. Right. He has two episodes a week. One is the free one, one is the Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. Right. His Patreon is pretty standard, I think. It's like five, ten, and twenty-five yep. for the tiers. And he's doing enough with that that he has vaulted himself into this this sort of new media stratosphere. And you just wonder how he's making money. Yeah. Because he's giving so much away for free. Even like his shows, he doesn't charge more than like, I think it's like $35 for mm. tickets. And he's a, I would say he's a top tier comedian at this point. He's selling it. He sells out theaters clubs i mean not maybe not arenas yet but you know he he does very well for himself yeah tours extensively and it's crazy like i don't like i honestly don't know how he does it like if i was to ever be in a room with him like i'd want to find out sure yeah like what the key to success is because i mean he's talked about it several times but and in that case like if you want to talk about selling out he definitely sold out you know he created all this content, put it out for free, mm-hmm. and then created this Patreon so that he could live. I don't even think that's selling out. Like, I think people confuse the idea of what selling out is constantly. Selling out is taking money for doing something that you said you wouldn't do like right. before. Like, I always use the example of Metallica. Metallica said that at one point they would never do soundtracks. They're like, we hate movie soundtracks. Mm-hmm. We're never going to do that. Then a studio dropped enough money on them to where they put a song on a Mission Impossible soundtrack. That is selling out. You're doing your something for money right. that you said you never do for the money. Right. Getting money for the content you create is not selling out. Yeah. It's being compensated for the content that you're creating. Right. So it, it's crazy when you look at the metrics of people that do like podcasting and stuff like that. The the current average is that one percent of your listeners will ever give you any financial support. Mm. That's crazy. But that's the metric around podcasting because the culture is that podcasting is free. And like, I just, I just, this is how guilty and bad the culture of podcasting is. Mm-hmm. 
I just had the thought to stop myself because people are listening, probably going, they're talking about this too much. This is not the content I want to hear. And they're probably right. But this is also the show. And we just are honest about the things that we talk about. But but I get it. And and, and I don't want to talk about it too much. But the thing, the weird thing is like, yes, I have a Patreon and I've asked my patrons before what they're like what i can offer them or people that uh i would like to join what i could offer them to make them join most of the people that are patrons are like we just do it to support you we don't even do it for the benefits it's because of the stuff that you are putting out for free Mm -hmm. that we want to support and yet us as content creators still go i still feel guilty because you're giving me money for doing something that i was already doing so i feel like i have to give you something else so I, like andrew schultz yeah i create more content that is behind the paywall for those people that are giving me money right so now i'm working myself twice as hard for the people that were happy to just have the content that i was already putting out for free because now i feel guilty right i think that's almost natural when you are already doing something and then people support you by giving you money i think only certain people would feel like they have somehow reached an equilibrium at that point mm-hmm. because you were just already doing stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And you were putting it out there, and then suddenly people are compensating you for it mm-hmm. when you that was not maybe your original intent. But now that you are getting money for it, you want to somehow it's like it's kind of like this weird sort of like Jacob's ladder thing where yeah. like each step you're like oh well let's do this and then people come back with this and then you're like okay now i gotta raise the bar and i realize that jacob's ladder falls down and it doesn't go up <laughs> but just imagine if jacob's ladder went up yeah but yeah like i understand and it's it's tough because like to a certain extent yeah it might sound like complaining but if this is the portion of the show where we complain right then <laughs> you're gonna hear complaints yeah and, and this is not a complaint that people are not supporting me enough it is just simply saying that if something is not lucrative enough, then I can't keep doing it right. like financially and just life wise. And, and if it's not making me happy and it's not the money that's not making me happy, it's like even just the, the participation of the people that are watching the stream. Like I get a couple regulars and I mm-hmm. love that they spend time with me and it's not that I don't appreciate them. Yeah. It's just that I can't keep justifying that much time into something you've got to put it towards something else yeah and something else might be more lucrative or might be a better investment of time or the fact that like i'm not seeing my friends enough because i'm putting so much time into streaming right and and i also think streaming this is a whole other thing but i'm not going to get too much into it i feel like streaming is also a social crutch to where i'm getting Mm -hmm. some of my social needs from streaming and talking to people that i don't see Mm -hmm. but it's not the same as actually spending time with my friends and maintaining those relationships and meeting new people and maybe dating which fuck knows the last time i've done that (laughs) so like (laughs) all that stuff that i've been pushing into the background i need to start doing some of that stuff again and there's nothing there's nothing going on enough with streaming to say don't do that other stuff yeah it's a cost benefit analysis at that point you're not getting the benefit from you're not getting the benefit from the thing that you were concentrating on and now the costs are starting to outweigh that not Mm -hmm. just in terms of money, but also in terms of personal relationships, like going out with friends, like you just said, a lot of that stuff is very valuable, especially at this point in our lives mm-hmm. where as you start to get older, your circle starts to get smaller yeah. and you don't want to be, you don't want to be out of the picture when somebody else's circle gets smaller and then leaves you out, mm-hmm. right? That hurts. So yeah, I mean, I totally get it. 
like a lot of this stuff, you know, it's word of mouth that helps, right? Yeah. So for the current listeners, if you know somebody that's like-minded and likes this geeky stuff that we talk about and, you know, share the podcast with them, Mm -hmm. don't just say, listen to the geek generation, right? Right. So this is something I actually picked up from Flagrant 2 and from Andrew Schultz. You never reference somebody's content by just saying, go and check that out. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes their work has so many volumes. Mm. There's so much stuff out there from that one person. Give them a specific episode. Give them that one episode that they should listen to, the one that gets them into it. So for you, what do you think that one episode is? I think some of our interview episodes are some of our best. Mm -hmm. We often go back to Asplosion. Yeah. Just because that was such an epic story that Volpe told. That was like episode 50. Yeah. But that's also not available on the feed anymore. Like uh-huh. it's available on the website, but you're not going to find it on the iTunes feed. Right. Because that only holds like the last 300 episodes uh-huh. or, some, or 150 yeah, or something like not, that. It's not yet. Yeah. It doesn't have deep. everything. But I would say out of God, out of recent stuff, the Felicia Day episode mm-hmm. was really good. That was a great interview. Yeah. The God specifically. See, it's tough, too. And here's the other thing is like. This is the first episode we've done in like two months, and it, it does make me feel a little more guilty for even bringing up like yeah, yeah, yeah my right. frustrations of other things. They're like, these guys haven't been on in two months, and now they're complaining about Patreon uh-huh. and blah, blah, blah. And I get it, but it's also evidence. Like, we haven't done an episode in two months yeah. because, other again... Stuff. If the support was there, then I would prioritize this more. It would be all, more frequent, right? Yeah. All my priorities right now, as far as like podcasting and content creation, not all my priorities. My major focus right now is Quantum Drive. Mm-hmm. That is every other week consistently. We have never missed one. And we're actually going to be done season two in April. So we're going to be all caught up real soon, right. which is crazy. So I might be able to take some of the time as we go on like a break from Quantum Drive to get more Geek Gen stuff out there. I'm always going to have something coming out somewhere. And sometimes it's going to be harder for you to follow me to that next thing. But I'll constantly tell you where I'm going so that if you want to, you can. Right. Personally, for me, like, you know, I came on to this podcast. I don't remember when. I don't remember either, but it's still crazy to me that you are a listener that just yeah. just like right in. And then we we're like, hey, come so like by. the thing. So this is kind of how how I remember it. I remember listening to Asplosion mm-hmm. and almost dropping two 75 pound dumbbells on my chest because I was listening to it in the gym. <laughs> and like, like it just got so funny at one point, like I was in the middle of a set and I just, I could not get it back up. I just dropped everything and I walked out because I was yeah. laughing so fucking hard. Like I was crying. And then I, I mean, it must've been months or maybe even like a year later when you guys started doing the smash ups. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I was like, Oh, I fucking love that. Because like at that time, I I was married, but I did not have any children. Mm-hmm. I was I don't even remember exactly what my life circumstances were at that point. Yeah, I just remember having time to think creatively, which I haven't had in a long time. <laughs> so it resonates. It just it just sticks out in my mind. Sure. So and then so you know like writing in, doing the smashups, and then like hearing the feedback. Volpe going like, "Hey, this guy's pretty funny." Yeah. You know, I don't mean to make him sound like that. That's just how I hear Volpe in my head. Um. <laughs> And then I, you know, and then getting the invite to come in and then record a couple episodes and then here we are. Right. So, you know, whether it is going back using the website to listen to Asplosion or listening to the Felicia Day episode or like even for the listeners, identifying the one for you that really got Mm. you into the Geek Generation and listening to us regularly, share that one episode. 
don't just tell them geekgen.com or geekgeneration.com. Like that's, yeah, yeah. there's just so much stuff on there and people are just going to, like if something doesn't immediately grab them, they're just going to Yeah, it's like, overwhelming. Eh. So point them towards that one thing that got you interested and help right in. I don't know if that's still a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we, we haven't, and, and reviews on Apple Podcasts, our last one was in 2017. Okay. We haven't had a new review. So like write in, like write in, review the podcast, just share with us your experience, the thing that got you into this, into this whole thing, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, share that with your one like-minded friend and then just tell them to pay it forward. Like this is so grassroots. It's like, I feel like I'm Bernie Sanders. I'm once again asking for your support. <laughs> like... But you're not you know, wrong, though. Not all support has to be monetary. Yeah. Like those those reviews that we get on Apple podcasts are emotionally fulfilling because it makes me or even just an email that comes in. Even if someone emails me and just like, hey, I've been loving the show lately or I like this particular thing. That's friggin' fuel for the fire. Yeah. That jazzes me up. And I am that much more motivated to make sure that the next show is even better. Yeah. So listeners just do one of those things yeah right you know whether that be feeding the emotional fire that keeps this podcast going or feeding the financial fire yeah, <laughs> that yeah. keeps this podcast going or you know sharing with your friends that one thing that got you into geek generation in general help us out yeah so i mean if, if you do want to support financially patreon.com slash the geek generation or the geek slash support hell i have a paypal if you just fire money to rob at the geekgeneration.com, people have done that. Really? People have just, they're like, I don't like Patreon, but I'd love to just throw like a one-time thing at you. Uh-huh. Send money through PayPal, rob at the geekgeneration.com. It'll get to me. What, what, what was that again? Rob at the geekgeneration.com. One more time. <laughs> rob at the geekgeneration.com. Okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah. There used to be a tip button on the website. Maybe I'll put that back. Or uh, there's a tip button on my Twitch channel. You can do it through there too. Or if you can't support financially, that's totally cool. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Send an email to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. Be like, hey, I like this thing you're doing. Or you know what? I don't like this thing you're doing. If you don't like the fact that I talked about I did not expect this part of the freakouts <laughs> to go as long. I, I sincerely apologize that we've spent this much time on this. I did not see it going in this direction. But sometimes when you start talking about things that you're passionate about, even if it is like yep. stuff that is like, it hurts me that streaming is not mm-hmm. more successful for me than it should be. That's why this has gone on as long as it has. Yeah. Cause I do care about it. And I sincerely care about doing this. I've been creating content for over 10 years now. I care mm-hmm. about it. And yeah. I, and if you were to weigh all the income and outcome, I lost money. There's no doubt I've lost money. This but, is a passion project and I care about it. And that's why I go on and on about it. And I hope that if people care about it as much as I do, then they are emailing in, writing reviews, telling me that they hated this segment of the podcast. Just to hear from people means so much. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, one of our biggest listeners is uh, a chef over in Ireland, and I've talked to him before. Whoa, really? Yeah, you might. Oh, you don't. Yeah, you might no. not know about this. So, um, he runs ultra marathons. Oh wow! Okay. And and he listens to podcasts all the time when he does it. Right. Uh-huh. And like I've sent him a shirt because I was like, you're you're our biggest listener. Have a shirt, wear this during your marathon. And he's taking pictures and put it on Instagram and everything. But like when it comes around to holidays and stuff, 
or my birthday. Like uh-huh. he must have this written down somewhere. He'll DM me on Instagram and be like, hey, man, have a great Christmas or have a great birthday. And I know that someone who's a continuing listener and is just reaching out and being like, that's his way of saying thank you. That's very you. thoughtful. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And yeah. literally, that's all it takes. Yeah. That's all it takes to keep me going. I love it. So does he not want to be known? Is that what's going on? Oh, no, no. He's I I don't know if he wants me like giving out his socials or anything, but. Well, shout out to you, Ireland chef. Um, (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll keep you out of the limelight, I think. But thank you for doing that. And if I might just speak to the listeners for a brief second. Oh, boy. Listen, you horny motherfuckers. (laughs) I know you guys are giving 10 25 maybe even 35 dollars to be fucking somebody's senpai on their stupid patreon (laughs) because they're giving they're sending you fucking boudoir photos or lewds or whatever the fuck you think not that there's anything wrong with that not that there's anything wrong with that but rob is making quality content here he's not showing any dick pics <laughs> he's not using his body to generate income again not that there's anything wrong with that not that there's anything wrong with that but listen here you horny motherfuckers <laughs> just throw five dollars at rob's patreon and if you don't have the money just share it with people really you could share it with that girl that you're paying 35 dollars oh, for <laughs> uh, i know how this shit works okay Okay, this has gone on this whole episode. This whole episode is way longer than I thought it would be. I don't even know if we should get to the reviews because we're like an hour and 40 minutes already. This is going to be a long editing process for me. If we keep going, we might want to save some of this stuff for next time. We can. Okay, as we uh, wrap this one up, Paul, final thought or something you'd like to plug? I'd like to plug Rob at GeekGeneration.com's <laughs> PayPal. If you would be so kind as to shoot it over as a gift so he doesn't have to take the fee, or I don't know who pays the fee with PayPal anymore. I haven't used it in forever. But listen, just, yeah, support the Geek Generation in any way you can. Share that one episode of the podcast or that one thing that got you into this whole content creation mess in the first place with that one like-minded friend of yours getting the word out or sending compliments are just as valuable as joining the Patreon or just supporting the podcast monetarily. I mean, if you didn't hear it in the last 40 or so minutes, Rob's pretty passionate about this. And, you know, so are the rest of us that help him out. The big takeaway from, I guess, my my passionate rant is choose an episode you like, share with a friend. That's it. Or if they don't know about podcasts, there's a lot of people out there that know nothing about podcasts. Say, hey, give me your phone for a minute. I'm going to hit subscribe on this podcast for you. I want you to give it a try. That's it. Everybody's got like a huge gap of time that they're usually like toiling away at something while they can obviously dedicate some attention to something else. Mm -hmm. And Ireland Chef is a great example, right? Mm -hmm. Runs forever, which blows my mind. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. I can run for maybe five minutes. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he runs forever. He's just listening to the geek generation and he made that his choice. And clearly he gleaned some benefit from it. Right. Follow his example. Find the time. Listen to the podcast. Share with other people. That's it. I promise you next episode we won't (laughs) rant again. Oh, man, that was not planned. And I I do I do feel a little guilty spending that much time on it. But I hope I hope people understand that is only because we care so much about what we're doing here and we want to do more. We want to be able to do more. 
the Geek Generation is part of the Geek Generation Network. If you like this show, be sure to check out our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. Do the same thing with those. Share them with a friend. We have lots of friends that are part of this. It's not just us anymore. So share the stuff with all the people you know. If you use iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please rate the show and write a review. We may even read your review on an upcoming episode. That's a way we reward you. Yeah. We give you a little little time in the spotlight. Watch our live events at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. When I am doing Wheel of Geek Gen, that will be on. There probably won't be a ton of gameplay there in the near future. Who knows? I might change my mind tomorrow. You never, <laughs> you never know. But one thing I do do a lot is I, this is the longest end credits ever because I'm just adding <laughs> stuff into it. Uh, one of the things I have been doing a lot is just turning on the podcast playlist and treating my Twitch channel like a radio station. Nice. So you never know what episode is going to come up next. It could be any show from the network in any random order. And if you just tune in at twitch.tv slash the geek generation, if you don't want to make a decision as what to listen to, you just want some background noise. That's a way to get some background noise and entertainment there. You can support the show and get access to exclusive bonus content by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. You can continue the conversation with us in our Discord server at thegeekgeneration.com slash Discord. You can send emails to podcast at thegeekgeneration.com. And as always, the show theme is provided by Machine Supremacy. A link to their site can also be found on our site. Also, what was that PayPal again? <laughs> PayPal, if you want to send a one-time thing, is rob at thegeekgeneration.com. One more time. Rob at thegeekgeneration.com. Thank you. We will be back really soon with more geeky stuff for you, and we will see you then later. Make it so.